Welcome to Don't Read Drunk, a podcast about books and booze. I'm Jenny, and I'll be your host. Hi, welcome back. We're on episode 46 today, and we're talking about The Wasp Factory by Ian Banks. It is definitely an intense book and a departure from the lightness of the past couple episodes. And trigger trigger alert for this episode, child murder, animal abuse, animal and human mutilation. So if you don't want to hear about any of those things, definitely skip this book and skip this episode. So things have been pretty busy in life for me. The pain job has actually been so hectic that I haven't had the time I've wanted to read for enjoyment. I do have a vacation coming up here at the end of the month, so hopefully I can catch up on some of my reading because I really have a lot of books on my to-be-read list that I want to get read. (laughs) I can't complain, though, because I do love my job and I love being able to help people. In fact, I just got back tonight and it's pretty late for me to not only be getting back home from work, but recording as well. Usually like to get it done sooner rather than later, but I had a networking meeting today and it was just a blast. It was so much fun. She is an amazing woman. We're around the same age, totally connected on a lot of things. And it was just a blast. I had a great night. The weather has been also amazing too, which again, my meeting and I, we sat out on a patio and had a couple drinks and it was a blast. And so it's nice to be able to get out and enjoy the weather. Summer in Milwaukee is amazing. I am not a Summerfest fan. So if you know Milwaukee at all, or if you know music at all, Summerfest is a pretty big festival. I am a fan of the other festivals. Summerfest is a little too crowded for me, and I do love music, but it's just too crowded. It's too big, and some of the other festivals are a little bit smaller, and I like to go during the day before it gets too crowded. And I've also been doing a lot of backyard bonfires and cooking out, so that has been a lot of fun too. So this week for the booze, a good solid beer seemed like a really good pairing for this novel, so I went with a beer that, like this book, has a history. Louis Demise from Milwaukee Brewing Company is an excellent amber ale. I recently went on a tour at Milwaukee Brewing Company and it was a really great tour, but I actually missed a large portion of the first half of it. So Milwaukee Brewing Company, if you're listening, I love the space that you have. It's such a great space. It's beautiful. But with that open concept and just the level of activity and the volume of people talking... I could not hear the tour guide, even though he had a microphone. So it was like there were parts that I could hear and other parts that I couldn't hear. And there were some great parts that I could hear, but it would be nice to hear the whole tour. (laughs) So if you're listening, keep that in mind. And maybe there's something you can do to fix something. I did manage to catch that one of the photos they have is an old photo of a group of men that was originally thought to be a group of men celebrating at a bar or at a brewery. And instead, it's actually a group of men. They're each holding this pint up and they're at the funeral of their friend, Louis. So to honor these men and their friend, Louis, the first brew of Milwaukee Brewing Company is named Louis Demise. 
if you'd like the full story, I've got the link in my show notes because it's actually a little more in depth with that. It's kind of cool story. And the whole story behind their friend, Louis, who died, his death is pretty interesting too. So go check out Milwaukee Brewing Company's website to learn more about that story. Louis' demise has been brewed for 15 years now. It's a rich amber ale. I enjoy ales, but this one is definitely a favorite. It's got more complex and a darker flavor than other amber ales that I've had. And there's a really nice caramel flavor to it. According to the website, there is a honey malt that is used and adds like a honey aroma to the ale. I couldn't really notice that honey, but again, maybe it's just not my palate. There's also supposed to be a subtle fruit flavor, which I didn't really notice either, but it is different and like more complex than other amber ales that I've had. ABV is 5.5 and the IBU is at 24. So it's not super hoppy. And man, so my phone is dinging like crazy and there's a motorcycle that just went on outside. So I apologize for the background noise. I guess it's kind of a crazy night. Again, I'm not usually recording at this time, so I'm I'm not sure what's going on tonight. <laughs> Anyways, Louis' demise, I would pair with some good old classic Wisconsin cheese curds. And if you can do some deep fried cheese curds, then even better. I've had deep fried cheese curds, and this is why I'm a curvy girl, but I've had deep fried cheese curds three nights in a row now. (laughs) If you're in Milwaukee or you can get Milwaukee Brewing, I would definitely recommend a sampling of Louis' demise and checking out the tour. On the tour, you do get this full nice pint glass, and you can sample as many half pours as you like. I think it's 30 minutes before the tour, during the tour, and then I think 15 minutes after the tour. Whatever, it's plenty of time to sample all the selections that Milwaukee Brewing has, and they do have a really great selection. The Louis' Demise, it's just kind of a classic of theirs, and it's a good quality classic that I recommend. You can also join enjoy some board games down in the lower bar. And when I was there, it was a weekend, so it was pretty busy, but it wasn't so packed that I couldn't find a seat. And there is food available. I've only eaten there one other time. I wasn't doing the tour that time, but the food was good when I was there. So hopefully they can do something about that sound because I think they have a great story to share. And there's a lot of fun information on the tour. The Pabst sign is really cool and something that you should take the tour to find out more about. (laughs) Let's get into talking about the author Ian M. Banks. So this is directly from his website. Ian Banks, born February 14th, 1954, died June 9th, 19, June 9th, I'm sorry, 2013, was born in Fief and was educated at Sterling University where he studied English literature, philosophy, and psychology. Banks came to widespread and controversial public public notice with the publication of his first novel, The Wasp Factory, which we're talking about today in 1984. His first science fiction novel, Consider Phlebas, was published in 1987. He continued to write both mainstream fiction as Ian Banks and science fiction as Ian M. Banks. He is acclaimed as one of the most powerful, innovative, and exciting writers of his generation. The Guardian called him the standard by which the rest of science fiction is judged, and New York Times bestselling William Gibson described Banks as a phenomenon. He's written right around 29 books, at least that's what I counted on his website. From Wikipedia, Banks was born in 
fief to a mother who was a professional ice skater and a father who was an officer in the Admiralty. An only child, he lived in North Queens Ferry until the age of nine, near the naval dockyards where his father was based. The family then moved due to his father's work. And I am skipping over some of these names of cities that I can't pronounce. So check out Wikipedia for more details. After attending high school, Banks studied English, philosophy, and psychology at the University of Sterling. After graduation, Banks took a succession of jobs that left him free to write in the evenings. Banks took up writing at the age of 11. He completed his first novel, The Hungarian Lift Jet, at 16, and a second, TTR, also titled The Tashkent Rambler, in his first year at Sterling University in 1972. Though he saw himself mainly as a science fiction author, his publishing problems led him to pursue, pursue mainstream fiction. His first published novel, The Wasp Factory, appeared in 1984 when he was 30. After the success of The Wasp Factory, Banks began to write full-time. His editor at Macmillan, James Hale, advised him to write a book a year, which he agreed to do. So I love that he started writing at 11 and finished his first novel at 16. There's also a lot about his life on Wikipedia that's pretty interesting that I didn't want to just spend the time like reading off of Wikipedia because I think that might get a little boring. It gets a little boring for me. But if you want to know more about Ian Banks, I've got links to both his website and uh, Wikipedia in the show notes as well. I heard about the Wasp Factory on Reddit, and I honestly did not know until after I finished it that it was published in 1984. It's a classic novel that I hadn't heard about, but does have an extensive following and is having a bit of like a resurgence now, at least from what I'm seeing on Reddit. A lot of people are talking about the Wasp Factory. Uh, That's kind of why I felt like it was a newer release. I'd also never heard of it when I was younger, but because there is a lot of violence in it, I'm sure that's part of why I didn't hear about it. I'm certain that my school library did not have a copy. The story is the first person account of the childhood of a psychopath, Frank Callheim. Frank is a 16-year-old who lives with his father on a remote island in Scotland. This book is very disturbing. So mom and dad, if you're listening, I don't think either of you will enjoy it. So my recommendation is for you to not read it. You can listen to my podcast if you want and I'll talk about it, but I don't think overall you're going to enjoy the book. Frank is a very disturbed young boy. He mutilates and kills animals all around the island that he lives on. And there are very detailed descriptions of how he does this. Frank is also a killer and he, his descriptions, he's very matter of fact about the killings. He's a psychopath, but he's not a diagnosed psychopath. The difference in like psychopathy and sociopath is that at least what I was looking at this website is psychopaths tend to be a little bit more charming and are able to live more normal lives where sociopaths sometimes can be more rage prone and can't control their emotions. Frank can control his emotions very well and even uses emotional manipulation to divert any suspicion of foul play from the deaths that are occurring around him because there's a certain age range in Frank's life where these killings happen specifically. And Frank's father seems to know that he has these psychopathic tendencies, but doesn't actually act on them. And I think the reason that he doesn't act on them is to kind of protect both Frank and to protect himself as well. 
Frank claims to me an undocumented person. He says there's no record of his birth and therefore he doesn't legally exist. And there are things that support this as well as questions kind of at the end that whether or not Frank legally does exist and his father has just hidden him for various reasons. Technically, it's not really ever clear if Frank legally exists as a person. Frank does a very good job, even in his own first person account, coming off as very sane and logical. And I think that's that psychopathy too, that even as he's harming animals and discussing the murder of people, and these people are other children that he has killed, he's very unemotional, detached, very straightforward, and explains this is why this had to be done. And this is the step-by-step process. He also has a good friend, Jamie, whom he spends time with and goes out drinking with, even though Frank is only 16. And it's not really clear on what Jamie's age is, but Jamie doesn't seem to be much older than Frank. Frank has several siblings, only one of whom is still living, his older brother, Eric. Eric is mentally unstable, though Eric's situation seems a little different, and his instability is a little different than Frank's instability and mental illness. And I've talked about mental illness being hereditary before, and I still think that's the case, though I think mental illness, if passed down, can be very different from family member to family member. And I think that's the case in Frank and Eric's situations. I think their illnesses are portrayed very differently. I think they feel them very differently. And I think they have very different diagnoses were they to be diagnosed. Eric, in the book, has escaped from the healthcare facility where he is being held, I guess, maybe a, a mental institution. I'm not sure exactly what you would call it, but he seems to be calling Frank and telling Frank that he's on the way to the island. The book has very strong fight club vibes. And I wondered for part of the time if Eric was an extension of Frank, though that doesn't seem to be the case. There's a really interesting relationship that's happening there with the two siblings and it's not quite that fight club uh, situation where Frank is imagining Eric, but that relationship is very significant throughout the book. And even though after finishing the book, I wouldn't say it's totally clear that they're two separate people, but in general, I think that is truly the case that they are two separate people. I do wonder if Chuck Palahniuk got any inspiration from Ian Banks. I haven't read anything else by Palahniuk, so I'm not sure if his other books are as dark as Fight Club, but if they are, I'm, I'm going to say that he read some Ian Banks when he was younger and got some of his inspiration from there. Eric seems to be managing his mental illness well, or perhaps his mental illness isn't fully manifested until he has this breakdown. And Banks describes the breakdown and what Eric witnesses to cause this breakdown in very graphic detail. I would personally think that it would likely to cause a breakdown in a lot of people. I was watching some stuff and I was reading some stuff and there are some people that kind of said, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And if you're in the healthcare field, you know, you've probably seen worse. And there goes another motorcycle. <laughs> And if you're in the healthcare field, you have to be used to this. But a lot of people that experience what they do in healthcare, that's not necessarily normal. And I can tell you someone like me is not used to experiencing that. 
So it would be very disturbing to me. And even if Eric thought he might want to be in the healthcare field, after witnessing that, obviously he wasn't in the right field. So I don't think it's just that him witnessing that situation or being part of that situation that caused the breakdown. There was already something within him that that just triggered that whole emotional response. And Eric's actions afterward are also very graphic and disturbing. I think that it's uncommon of a mental breakdown to have that kind of reaction without the predisposition for mental illness to be present. And I think that is absolutely true in Eric's case, that there was already mental illness there. There was already some predisposition for it to be there. There was already something that wasn't quite above board with Eric to begin with. And I'm saying this too, as someone who has their own mental illness, that there's already challenges there. I'm not trying to be derogatory towards Eric. I'm just saying that, well, his brain was already messed up. His father treats him very specifically too. Frank's father treats him very specifically too, almost like as a perfection type of intelligence, like he expects this from Frank. So Frank not being legally documented has only been homeschooled by his father on the island. And his father asks him detailed mathematical equations as like pop quizzes and expects this perfection. This makes me think about the TV show Psych, which is honestly nothing like the book other than the father asking questions that they will think will develop their son's mental acumen. His father also has a mysterious locked study, which Frank continually tries to get into. Banks is slow to build suspense in, in some ways, but also really graphic and detailed and m- creates this heart-stopping action in other ways. What Frank does find in the study changes everything. Frank mentions his mother on occasion, but it's with an odd combination of like disgust and indifference at the same time. His mother and Eric's mother abandoned them, so she's given little thought or respect. And I was a little irritated about the portrayal of women in this novel. It's not good by any means. Frank hates women because, quote, they are weak, stupid, and live in the shadow of men. (laughs) The book was written in the 80s, so I guess I can kind of give it a pass. Also, once I did finish it, there are some things that I think Banks was making a statement on, that changed my portrayal of how of women and how the women were portrayed within the book. And it was so well done in that way that I say I was surprised to see it from a novel from the 1980s. The statement that Frank, or I'm sorry, the statement that Banks is making about women in the novel. Frank has an obscured view of women, but given that he has several siblings who it's never made clear like who their mother is, let alone who their father is. It's kind of easy to see why. Plus the way his father reacts to women and talks about women and has women in their lives. There's a certain level of disrespect already that Frank's father has set for him. And Frank blames Eric's sensitivity and the fact that his father had put him in dresses, put Eric in dresses. And it's not clear exactly why His father put Eric in dresses when he was younger, but Frank blames Eric's sensitivity on that. And again, because he views women as the lesser sex, this is why he thinks Eric is a little more sensitive. 
it's an odd notation in the book. It's clearly not a view of the authors, but there is a set of masculine ideals that Frank's father has placed on his sons, and it's definitely been ingrained in their belief system. Banks' writing overall is casual and easy. It's just really descriptive in like a gritty way. There's a hardness to the story, and his writing almost makes me think of like an American Western, even though it's set on a coastal island of Scotland. Banks wrote a lot before he was finally published, so I think it's clear that he learned a lot. There's really great restraint with his writing. It's such a clean, crisp story that it doesn't reveal too much, but it's descriptive enough that you feel thoroughly present in the story. He's exactly the type of technical writer that I'd like to be. There is a lot of symbolism in the book too, and it's set up to acknowledge the ritualistic actions of various indigenous peoples. What Frank calls the wasp factory is really just a torture device, but it's symbolic of life and the inevitability of death. Frank has no attachment to life or death, but seems to get a certain comfort in being in control of the fate of the animals and the insects that he captures. There seems to be more ritual in the deaths of these creatures than in the actual deaths of the people that he kills. It's really interesting how there's that separation between how he treats animals and insects versus how he treats people. Banks says, quote, all lives are symbols, part of a pattern. And I think this is true, but Frank uses this as a way to detach the emotion of life and death from his own actions and how he mutilates and abuses animals. When we get to the shocking end, I was shocked. There's so much wrapped up in the reveal that even though as a reader, you're in like this state of suspense and unsure what's really going on, there's still this feeling of the need to like read the book all over again in this whole new context. Banks does lay out all the clues in such a beautiful way that looking back on it, I wondered how I didn't see it coming. Of course, hindsight is twenty twenty, And I will read the novel again when I'm able to in the new context, just because I'll need to see every clue that I missed and what other messages that Banks has hidden in plain sight for us. It was absolutely a disturbing novel. It is not for everyone, and I can see where it would get very mixed reviews. Personally, I decided to give it a 4 out of 5. Goodreads gives it a 3.79. Other reviews, quote, this is some hard stuff but this is actually not a bleak book, perhaps because of the narrator. Young Frank is a sadistic creature, but his perspective is often self-deprecatingly wry or amusingly pedantic. This was a review from Mark Monday, and I loved his review and completely agree. I couldn't have said it better myself, which is why I decided to quote it. Someone else said that it was violent and graphic for the sake of violence, and I totally disagree. I think there's a very specific purpose and a point to what Banks has done here. You don't have to like it. It's very violent and graphic, but he's making a point and he's making a point about mental illness and just how people feel and and deal with mental illness. Someone else said Lord of the Flies meets American Psycho. And I totally disagree with this one. And I don't think picking random other graphic stories to compare to makes the point of what this reviewer is trying to say. I really think the reviewer is trying to say something different. I also read American Psycho, but I would say this is much more of a well-written book than American Psycho. And American Psycho is good in its own right. Been a bit since I've read Lord of the Flies, but there's really nothing similar to this book other than the general violence. So it's not even violence for the same purpose. 
Another great review by Kevin Kelsey, quote, what a story this was, very competently written. There were moments where it felt like my heart was going to beat out of my chest. It was so unnerving and others where it was surprisingly funny for something so macabre. I agree. And this is a test to bank skills at a writer that something so graphic and so violent could be so well written. In my opinion, most of the negative reviews have a problem with the violence. And I would agree, like if you don't want to read something violent, this isn't the book for you. And I wouldn't say I wanted to read something this violent, but violence is a part of life. And I do enjoy the examination of life. This is very much an examination of gender, sexuality, violence, mental illness. And for Banks purposes, I think it's absolutely necessary. I don't like it. I don't have the desire to write something like this personally, but it was very well done. It's not violent for violence sake. And it's easy to see why this book is a classic and continues to stand the test of time. So if you don't want to hear about the graphic violence, definitely don't read this book. But I think that what Banks does is really incredible in a lot of ways. And he was a great writer. Media recommendations this week. I haven't had a ton of time to do anything. Like I said, I've been super busy with the work. I will say though, I was required to read this for work. It's called Savior Asks by Chris Tuff. And I absolutely enjoyed it. Tuff really breaks down how to network and the importance of networking. There's a lot to unpack. So even though I've already read the book and taken notes, it's one of those books that I'll get something out of every time I read it. And I'll definitely read it again. It's a recent book. So it's timely on how sales and networking have changed with the pandemic. So if you're in sales, if you're an entrepreneur, or really anyone who is looking to grow and develop in your career, I highly recommend this book, Save Your Asks by Chris Tuff. You could find me on Instagram at Don't Read Drunk. Email me at don'treaddrunk at gmail.com. Check out my website at don'treaddrunk.buzzsprout.com. There is no apostrophe in any of the don'ts in any of that. This is a hobby podcast, so you can do a one-time donation through PayPal using my email, don'treaddrunk at gmail.com. You can also support this podcast by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash don't read drunk. Thank you so much to my sponsors, Aaron Ruiz at One Up Till Sunup, who created the music. You can find One Up Till Sunup and Aaron on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Also, Avenue Coffee House. You can find them on Facebook and their website, avenue-coffeehouse.com. They've also opened up a new coffee shop, Supernova, downtown Milwaukee, They have amazing donuts, and I can't wait to check out their new location. I am going to be there tomorrow. Next episode, we'll be talking about It Girl by Ruth Ware. Bye, and talk to you soon. 